0: Good morning once again. Uh, My name is Peter. I'm one of the pastors here at Mercer Island Covenant Church. Today the title of the message is Healing and the Gospel. As you know, we have been going through a series uh, called The Gospel, and uh, we get to this very special topic that's near and dear and actually relatively new in my life. And um, there's a bit of a disclaimer as we go into this sermon this morning. Um, I grew up as uh, a Christian in a Christian home, but it was uh, kind of a culturally Christian home. We didn't really um, have personal faith in Christ. And my parents, I, it's it's my uh, observation that they probably came to faith a little bit later on in life uh, as adults, rather than. Uh, the whole time uh, I was growing up. And we were part of a Presbyterian church. Uh, I'm Korean-American. If you don't know, uh, Presbyterians were the first uh, missionaries there. And so pretty much every Korean you've ever met and every Korean you will ever meet are Presbyterian. Even if they claim to be Baptist or Pentecostal or Methodist, they're still Presbyterian. And... and. Uh, so I grew up in a pretty strict Presbyterian environment where uh, ringing, a dinging a bell was part of how we started and ended, parts of service, high control, highly controlled environment, uh, not much coloring outside the lines, if you know what I mean, and uh, part of that meant that uh, we prayed, but we prayed pretty scripted prayers, and uh, uh, certainly we didn't believe in things like healing and, I think uh, in our minds and to each other, we may have implied or said that we believed in it, but we never practiced it. We certainly never expected it. We didn't pray for it. It was just something that happened in the Bible, and we acknowledged that the Bible is true and alive, and so we kind of believed in it by default. But in practice and in reality, it was much more of what a theologian would call a dispensational church. They believed in practice that the Uh, operation of gifts like healing, ended uh, when the apostles died, when the original apostles, 12 apostles died. So I grew up in that kind of environment. And so from that background, I come to you today uh, speaking about this whole idea of healing. And there is no way I can do it justice in one uh, one sermon on one Sunday morning, but this is the beginning of, uh, for our church as we grow in our understanding and practice of what it means to engage in a ministry of healing. I want to do a couple of things today. Uh, I want to first spend the uh, first few minutes talking, sharing with you my story of healing uh, in my life and how God has brought that about. And then I want to go through the passage And just point out a few things that I think are really helpful in this passage. This is one of only a couple of places in the whole Bible uh, where Jesus explicitly gives us a theology of healing. Okay, so we want to be attentive to that. And then I want to end with some other stories of healing that I have personally experienced, but they don't have to do with my experiencing healing, but others experiencing healing in my presence. Okay? And then a couple of application points after that. So first, my story of healing. I don't know why I started doing this. It's not because I grew up in that environment. I think I was just really disappointed that I had to wear glasses uh, when I was in the fourth grade. I'm pretty myopic today, um, if I tell you what my prescription is, I am going to hear gasping in the room. My prescription on a good day is minus 11. There you go, gasping. <laughs> what that means for those of you who don't understand myopia and how that works is, uh, why I see from 20 feet what somebody with 20-20 vision would see from 1,100 feet. I start my mornings challenged because I can't see well enough to find the Coke bottle glasses that are on my night table. I have knocked over many glasses of water uh, in the mornings looking for my glasses. And so my eyes are pretty bad. But in the fourth grade, when I got my glasses for the first time, I started praying for God to heal my eyes. And I didn't have a theology of healing. I didn't know what I felt about it. I didn't have scriptural references for it. All I was was a fourth grader who wanted not to have to wear glasses. And somewhere in Sunday school, I had picked up that God sometimes, or maybe even today, does these things where he just touches you or something, or makes mud pie and spreads it on your eyes, or he spits in his hand and sticks that hand into your mouth. or I don't know. I read these stories. And Jesus would heal. And so I started praying for God to heal my eyes in the fourth grade. In the seventh grade, um, I got my first pair of soft contact lens. And I remember my mom saying to me, Peter, look, no more glasses. God answered your prayers. I said, no, mom. God knows what I meant. Contacts were not it. And Uh, I prayed almost every single day, and to this day, I still pray for God to heal my eyes. Each morning, before I put on my contact lens, I hold the lens on my fingertip, and I say, God, you got two seconds. (laughs) That's my prayer now. We're on very familiar terms. This This is a very comfortable topic for us now. I actively sought healing for my eyes throughout college. I visited churches that were Pentecostal. They were more charismatic. That means that they were more explicit about the way they practiced what uh, the scriptures call gifts of the Spirit. And so um, I sought out, uh, I remember seeking out lots of African-American churches because they were willing to pray for you. They were willing to anoint you with oil and uh, take you to the back room and have you know, intimidating people, lay their hands on you and pray for you for a long period of time. I remember visiting a lot of vineyard churches because they were willing to pray for you. And so I received a lot of prayer from vineyard folks. So that was my uh, sort of history uh, with healing. And then I started seminary. There was an Old Testament scholar by the name of Jeffrey Niehaus. He wrote some amazing books on uh, Old Testament theology, but he was also purported to be somebody who didn't just operate out of his brain, but also uh, had this sort of touchy-feely side where uh, he would have, quote-unquote, a word from the Lord for you, or he would pray prayers of healing and people would get healed, or he would have a word, quote-unquote, a word of knowledge where he would know things about you as if he's read your mail. Sometimes he can even, they said, predict the future. And so it was sort of the uh, norm and habit of seminary students, no matter what your position was on the issue, uh, you would make an office hour appointment with Dr. Jeffrey Niehaus and uh, and so I did that my first year in seminary, and uh, I sat down and I said, Doctor Niehaus, um, do you have a word for me? And he didn't even bat an, bat an eye. He just sat there without any affect. He had no bedside manners whatsoever. And he said, Let's find out. And he just kept staring at me. He said, Yeah, I do. The Lord wants you to know He has given you the gift of healing. Is there anything else? (laughs) Uh, uh, That's it. Thank you for your time. And I walked out. What, what What is a Presbyterian supposed to do with that? A suppressed Asian Presbyterian. So I tucked that piece of information in my back pocket. Two weeks later, Uh, There was the wife of a pastor at the church I was serving at the time who was uh, visiting from another country, and she wanted to pray for me. So Susie and uh, myself, this pastor and his wife, we went to an upstairs room, and we started praying. And she was praying a bunch of things about leadership and God's work in me and through me and all of that. And then seemingly out of the blue, she said, oh, God wants you to know he has given you the gift of healing. That's twice in two weeks. Now I was paying attention a little bit. I found myself emotionally leaning into this uh, statement, gift of healing. About a year passed. I did nothing with uh, these two. I don't know what you call it. I think maybe they're kind of prophetic words, if you will, Um. Uh, about a year passed, and there was an Alpha conference uh, near the seminary. Does, does anybody know what Alpha is? Yeah? Alpha is a Bible study program that's designed to lead uh, people who are curious about Christianity or people who are wanting to uh, uh, figure out a little bit more Uh, sort of systematically what they believe and why and it's been a powerful evangelistic tool some would say it's been one of the most powerful evangelistic bible studies that's ever been uh, put together uh there are two founders to this nikki gumbel and his pastor sandy miller started in europe in uh, great britain Uh, but sandy miller was in town and he was leading an alpha conference and uh, being a good presbyterian and um uh, being a good American, I had no idea that actually the Alpha course, is, which is what it's called, is quite charismatic in the way it's, uh, it was designed and the way it's meant to be taught. Now, I didn't know that I had taken the Alpha course, but I didn't experience it that way at all, where there's a lot of sort of invocation of, of the Holy Spirit, is how I, exper- uh, how I uh, would phrase it. And so Sandy Miller is teaching this Alpha conference, Uh, alpha course at a conference there's maybe about two to three thousand people at this conference and on the last day of this multi-day conference uh, pastor sandy miller he says i want to invite those of you who are here to receive various gifts of the holy spirit and he says i'm going to call out uh, one gift at a time and then when you hear the gift that you want to receive, I want you to step out into the middle aisle, and I'm going to extend my hand towards you, and I'm going to pray for you to receive that gift. Never had experienced anything like that before. I was skeptical about it, had heard about crazy Christians, and so I thought maybe Pastor Sandy was one of them. Uh, So I'm standing there in in the pews at my seat, and uh, I find myself uh, thinking about the spiritual gifts. And guess which gift I was thinking about? Right, the gift of healing. And so I'm waiting for Pastor Sandy to call out healing. He's going through all these boring gifts like love and, you know, <laughs> other, other silly things. And so uh, I'm, waiting, I'm waiting for this gift. And while I'm waiting, I, I'm praying. And as I'm praying, I sort of feel like I heard a voice from God and, uh, I say that knowing full well that that sounds crazy, but I, I, I think I did, and um, this is what I heard. I heard, in quotes, Peter, what good is power without love? And I don't know what happened, but that question that I heard really cut me to the heart, and I started praying prayers of repentance and i remember praying god you're right i am a sinful selfish man and i don't have love in my heart i just want power and power without love is dangerous saying god i changed my mind i don't want the gift of healing just teach me how to love just love love is sufficient just give me love i remember praying this and i remember i started crying and then i started weeping and it was just one of those very emotional moments. And as I'm praying this, I start feeling a little bit of tingling in, in my fingers. And I thought, oh, was, what, what was going on with my hands? i uh, kind of falling asleep. So it kind of felt like needles. So I found myself kind of squeezing my hands like this. I'm still praying and crying the whole time. And then I started feeling these needles in, at my feet. ...in my feet. And so I started curling my toes, squeezing my toes... ...and I started pounding my feet a little bit, trying to get the needles out. And while I'm praying still, I remember thinking, oh yeah, I think I just read that... uh, ...if you lock your knees and you're standing there for a long time... ...blood flow doesn't flow back to your heart and you're going to keel over and fall on your face. Maybe my knees were locked and that's why my feet are falling asleep... ...and that's probably why my hands are falling asleep. I remember having this conversation with myself... But the whole time, I'm kind of doing this. I'm shaking my fingers out like this, and I'm praying. And then I heard Pastor Sandy Miller. And he said, there are some of you in this room who are experiencing, his phrase, not mine, the electricity of the Lord. Talk about dramatic, huh? I didn't know God had his own brand of electricity. (laughs) There's Con Edison, and then there's God. He said, there are some of you who are in this room who are experiencing the electricity of the Lord, particularly in your extremities, in your hands and feet. And the Lord wants you to know that those of you who are experiencing this right now, God has already given you the gift of healing. And he never prayed for people to receive the gift of healing. And he just moved on. That's a pretty exciting day for me. Uh, I was pretty emotional. I had had a good cry. Uh, I had uh, experienced something I'd never experienced before. I had believed uh, that I heard from God. I heard Him say my name. Pretty special moment. And then, uh, and then I went crazy. I started praying for everyone and everything that moved. It didn't matter if they asked. It didn't matter if they believed. It didn't matter if they knew. I was just secretly and explicitly praying for people all the time. And I did this for 12 years. And for 12 years, I prayed for healing, and I saw zero healings. I had zero stories. Nothing, no one, as far as I knew, ever got healed. So then after 12 years of praying like this, I got a little bit weary. I got discouraged. I felt uh, kind of self-condemning, to be honest with you. I felt I was less than, and I felt I lacked faith. Faith seemed to be an important ingredient when I read Scripture, when I hear other preachers talk about healing. Faith seemed like such an important thing. And somehow I had failed as a person because I've been told now by three random people that I have healing. I've been the gift of healing and I prayed for 12 years and nobody ever got healed so I just stopped praying for people and then I found myself out of the pastoral ministry and I was the director of church planning for the evangelical covenant church very little to do with healing I think in a way because I was just traveling I was kind of acting like a consultant I was sort of event doing my venture capital consulting coaching assessing training thing but it was really uh, a lot of business. I would say about 75% business and about 25% explicit spirituality. I was at one of these uh, training centers for uh, church planners. And I, was, uh, I arrived on our usual Wednesday night and uh, having our opening um, reception. And a man I've never met before came up to me and he said, uh, Peter, you know... Um, I was wondering, while we're here, uh, do you think maybe you can pray for God to heal me? And I said, uh, oh, excuse me? He said, you know, I can't hear in my right ear. I would love for you to pray for God to heal my right ear. I said, oh, um, you know, actually, uh, you know, I don't do that. And I started just, just this welling up of fear and Past feelings and emotions came up immediately, surfaced immediately. I said, you know, uh, but, you know, tell you what. Let me pray and see if God wants me to pray for you. And if God tells me to pray for you, and I was pretty sure he wouldn't. If God tells me to pray for you, then I'll pray for you. We have four days. He said, sure, that'd be fine. And so I spent the uh, four days of this conference thinking about this man's request. And I just couldn't shake it. And then it was Saturday morning. It was our final uh, commissioning service. And I had just gotten gotten done speaking and commissioning everybody. And I organized uh, different church planning teams into their own prayer groups. And they're all praying. And I'm just sort of standing there on the stage still. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm just going to go pray for him. Who cares? So I walk up to his group. And um, I say, hey, Carlos, I don't know if you are still wanting me to pray for you. I haven't heard from God, but I would like to pray for you if you still want that. He said, oh, I would love that. So we form a little circle, and I put my two hands over his two ears. And I've never seen anybody do this. It was just a reflex. So I just, somebody prays for healing of their ears. You put your hands on your ears, I thought. So there I was my right hand on his left ear, my left hand on his right ear. And I pray a very controlled and sane and respectable Presbyterian prayer. (laughs) Right? I say, God, uh, we humbly come before you, and uh, he would like you to heal his ear. And so, by your grace and in the name of Jesus, I pray for Carlos's left ear to be healed. Just something like that. And then we stopped, looked at him, and he said, nope, still can't hear. <laughs> and then I felt this huge relief, just relief. So I said, you know, actually, let me try that again. So I did the same thing. I put my hands over his, and I said, God, I want to pray again. I think you can do this if you want to. Would you pray? Or would you heal Carlos' left ear? In Jesus' name. Took my hands off nothing says you know let me try that again put my hands over his ear again and i started praying again and right in the middle of the first sentence of this third prayer i felt a puff of air hit my left hand out of his right ear and i said whoa and i stopped praying and i looked at him And he looked up at me and he said, Would you like a report? (laughs) I said, Yeah. He said, I can hear. This was in Rolling Hills Estates, California, not in Calcutta, not in Sudan, in Rolling Hills Estates, California, at Rolling Hills Covenant Church. I couldn't believe it. My first words were, You're lying. He said, and he, Carlos says, Peter, my wife, my daughter, and my pastor are here. I'm not going to lie. I can hear. So we start crying, and we start screaming. We started jumping and hugging and high-fiving. And, and me, the most shocked of them all, I couldn't believe it. I went home Saturday night. I told Susie what happened. She couldn't believe it. And then come Sunday, I still hadn't told anyone. It was just, I was just in disbelief. Sunday night, I texted a pastor friend of mine that I hadn't talked to in months in another state. And I said, can you talk? <laughs> I love it. And he texts back on the phone, we'll call you. So I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. An hour later, he calls me, said, Hello. And he says, the first thing, without even a greeting, who did you heal? Why are you asking me this? Who did you heal? Why are you asking me this? Tell me, who did you heal? I said, first tell me why you're asking me this. No, give me a name. (laughs) Carlos. He says, I knew it. I said, how did you know? He says, God told me you healed somebody. I was floored. I was just floored. As floored as a Presbyterian could be. (laughs) And then I went on a three-week speaking tour in Europe. And then I started praying for everything that moved. And I saw lots and lots of healings, which I'll tell you about later. And then I came back from Europe and I started praying for lots and lots of people and I saw lots and lots of people get healed. What am I to make of this? What do you make of it? This is my story. Either I'm just flat out lying to you or I'm just totally deceived or I'm crazy or I'm telling you the truth. <clears throat> Here's one main lesson that I learned uh, over the last uh, two and a half years of praying for people to experience healing and seeing results. Lots and lots of moments happen in life, but every moment that happens, I've underestimated. What I mean by that is there are always years and years of work underneath the surface that's been happening in preparation for each and every moment that we experience in life. I have learned that each and every healing is never instantaneous and it's never disconnected from the larger work of God in a person's life. There are years and years of work that God has been doing in all of us. And at certain moments, we get a flash of what God's been doing. And sometimes it reveals itself as what we would label as a supernatural healing, divine intervention. When the natural laws that we have come to know and expect don't seem to apply, And I tell you, as a person who has now experienced many of these personally, I still doubt every single day. And that's been the hardest thing for me preparing for this talk, is mustering up enough faith to give this talk from the pulpit as a pastor to a church that I have to be with for many, many years. If I was a guest speaker, it would be a lot easier to, to tell you the truth. But you guys might actually be in my life and you might actually ask me to pray for you. And it may not work. And then we're going to have that weird thing between us all the time. <laughs> I wish I could just hit and run. Be a traveling evangelist. Cause a ruckus. Cause a scene. And then say thank you and move on. But to be able to share this talk with my family, that's really challenging for me. And it's emotionally just draining in a way because i just i fear the worst but i join the apostle peter in saying i don't know what to do with this i can't help but speak of what i have seen and experienced you can judge me if you want to but what am i supposed to do not share wouldn't you share this story uh in Mark that was read for us, is one of these moments. And you can't read this as a isolated, instantaneous moment. It's been in the making for a very long time in all these various connected ways. God is the perfect orchestrator. Everything is connected to everything. And it's sort of like the string theory. Right? So here we have a crippled person, a paralytic. And his friends want him to get healed. He's very lucky to have friends who care. Most paralytics, even today, they don't have help. They don't have support. They have to drag themselves around on the floor. We're going to get to that a little bit later when we commissioned a free wheelchair mission uh, team today. But here he has friends, and there's no room because there's a crowd. Jesus is speaking and so they, they uh, make a hole in the roof. They lower him on his mat, interrupt everything. And Jesus has mercy. There's sort of a battle of wills between Jesus and the established uh, religion, religion there, the religious authorities. And Jesus wins. And everybody ends up praising God. But the story isn't that neat. We don't know what happened after. We don't know what happened before. This is just one moment. Lots of things to learn here. Let me point out just a couple of things. I love how Jesus does this a few times in in the Gospels. But one of the main things that you have to pick up is that Jesus is God. Jesus Christ. We worship him not because he's like God. But not because he's a really cool person, not because he's godly, but because he is God. You you understand in the story, the, the Pharisees are saying in their hearts, how dare he forgive sins? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus is like, oh yeah, by the way, about that God thing, you're forgiven. I am God. He says, so that you may know that I am God. Your sins are forgiven. Deity. He is God. Now, there's a key question here. And the question is, which is easier? And theologians have battled with this question for many, many years. And when I did my research, I found that theologians are split about 50-50 on which is easier. So I want to ask you a rhetorical question. Which is easier, to say to someone, your sins are forgiven, or to say to someone, take up your mat and go home? Say it in your mind. What do you think is easier? I think, my opinion, I side with the theologians that say, it is much easier to say, take up your mat and go home. That's Jesus' whole point. He's saying, I did the harder thing, and you're upset with me? But so that you may know that I have the authority to do the harder thing of forgiveness, I want to give you evidence. Take up your mat and go home. Why is forgiveness the harder thing? Because what did it cost Jesus to be able to forgive his life? It is easier to exercise power than it is to exercise love. And that's the whole point that Jesus is making. That he has done the incredibly harder thing of dying for us in order to be able to cleanse us from all of our sins. He's here to do that, and they're upset with him? Is it a small thing that I have done? Have I not been planning for this? Have I, have, have this has this not been ordained from before the foundation of the world? And you're upset that I'm doing it? This is the very will of God, and you're upset, you're complaining, you're judging? Why are you grumbling about this? This is the whole point, and you're upset. Which is easier? Of course, it's easier to just heal the body. Third, a lesson to learn from here. Outer healing, therefore, this moment of outer healing is outward evidence and expression of the inward reality of the work of God that's been happening for a long time in a person's life. Outer healing is always part of the larger work of God in a person's life. God's never going to just heal. He's never going to just do you a favor. Never at the expense of the work of love in your life. The precious, precious work of God in your life. He will never, never jeopardize it. He will will never sabotage it. He will never, ever short-circuit it. He doesn't care to please you. He's not afraid of you. He's not trying to get you to like him. He's not upset that you're going to be disappointed because he is focused and committed to the larger work of love in your life. God's whole purpose is to save you wholly, and he's not going to jeopardize that. Next. This moment of physical healing is also about societal healing. Do you realize Jesus is making a statement? This paralytic who dared to boldly approach the throne of grace to there find grace and mercy to help him in time of trouble, who dared to do this, he was a completely invisible person. Do you know what invisibility means? It means nobody sees you. Nobody thinks you're worth anything. It's not worth interrupting your convenience or your life or your schedule. You're just a nobody. And back in Jesus' time, and all around the world, even to this day, paralytics are invisible. They add very little so- social value. They don't fit in the in the social economy. At all. They're just there to be ignored. And here Jesus is stopping the whole revival meeting just for this one person. Part of why the religious sect was upset because they were the ones in power. And Jesus is interrupting, not for them, but for this guy. I think their egos were bruised. They were feeling a little bit snubbed. Why weren't they being ushered to the, to the uh, good seats in the front? This, this social nobody dared to make a hole in the roof, interrupt a meeting, and Jesus honors them, responds to them. Oh, it's making a statement about what justice looks like and feels like. Next, the church, you and I, are all called to engage in the work of healing. You know, we would all acknowledge that as a church, we're here to engage in the work of salvation, right? We sang about that, we believe that, our hope is in that. But what is salvation if it's not healing? In fact, the word salvation comes from the word salve which means to heal. And so if you read the Bible from Old Testament to New Testament, you'll see all the way throughout Scripture, the Bible usually interchanges the words salvation and healing. That if we are going to be saved, we need to be healed. And if we are being healed, we are being saved. How else will they know? Jesus says, so that you may know. Sure, we have a physical building, and it's beautiful. Look at all this, all this nice wood. Look at, look at this great brickwork. Look at these comfortable chairs. Look at all the rooms and all the ministry opportunity we have in this church. In, in, in downtown Mercer Island, we're taking a physical space. Who cares? Who cares that we are a church? You know, people have walked by the street for years, have never known that there's a church here. Somebody told me this this last week. Oh, I didn't know there was a church there. So that you may know. Who is the you? That's you. That's me. That's them. That's everybody. Unless there is the work of God happening in our midst, how will they know that Jesus is God? How will they know that Jesus has the power to heal? How will they know that Jesus has the authority to forgive unless there is a ministry of healing in our midst? We are of no impact to this community, to this region, unless there's healing happening. We're just another group of just insular Christian group. We're happy to be in our subculture. We're happy to have a place to come to. We're happy to have a support group. But how will they know? That's what Jesus said. So that you may know. Next. Healing is always grace. You look at this paralytic and you realize There was no entitlement here, just desperation. And I want to mention this because whenever we pray for healing, those of you who have, we love to do the dance. We love to jump through the hoops. We love to bargain with God. Well, let me pray a certain way. All of a sudden, we get all ritualistic, and we focus on our words and our deeds and our attitude, and our, we're just measuring ourselves and making sure that we're somehow coaxing God and manipulating God and rubbing that rabbit's foot just right to rub that genie lamb just right. And I'm not normally like that, but when it comes to something I want, all of a sudden I become a little bit of a dancer, and I do the dance, I do the shuffle the Christian healing prayer shuffle. I don't know why, but I do. But really, it's not about that. It's about grace. Lastly, you notice it's his friends that brought him. In my experience, the work and ministry and moments of healing always involve lots and lots of people. We all live and die on our support system. Nobody is good enough, strong enough, smart enough, competent enough to make it on their own, not for good, not for long. We all need each other. We all need friends. Let me read you a couple of stories um, that I had people email to me. There are many things I could thank you for, but I want to thank you specifically for two things. First for being the first man, not only to call out my behavior, but take the time to talk about it and then say, "You were sorry for the fact that I felt like there was no space for my voice to be heard." Second, for your prayers of healing. You prayed specifically for my endometriosis to be healed. After surgery, the doctors said they were surprised that there was no endometriosis to remove, just scar tissue, evidence that it had existed. I know that I had severe endometriosis, stage 4. Now it's gone. Please continue to pray for me, and please continue to use your gift. January 12, 2012. April 20, 2011. Just wanted to report to you that God gave me some some down-home healing this week. I went up to have you pray for my knee on Sunday. I had a torn meniscus that's been bugging me and causing pain for a good 10 years. I never had the surgery to repair it. I had, however, been praying for the last few months for God to heal my knee. Yet I saw no miraculous results and was curious to see what the Lord would do this past Sunday. I noticed on Sunday night that I didn't have any pain at all and got brave enough to test out my knee yesterday. And to my amazement, I am absolutely pain-free. I can put all of my weight on it with no pain whatsoever. It may sound simple, but I haven't been able to do that in almost 10 years. I have been living with a torn meniscus for quite some time, and now it's totally healed. It's not the most amazing story, but to me it is beyond amazing. I'm so excited and refreshed in my faith in him. September 13, 2011. I'm still analyzing analyzing things, and it's still too early, but I had shortness of breath beginning in August. They would last up to two hours, and I usually had to stop talking and lie down during those times. This was my primary symptom when I had a lung clot earlier in the year, so my husband and I thought I might have another one. I took a blood clot test that measures the likelihood of clotting, a first step before ordering more invasive procedures. I came out positive for clotting. I also took a breathing test that day, and the test indicated I had a possible obstruction, so I was referred to a pulmonary specialist. Then you had prayed for me last Sunday. I still had shortness of breath in the immediate days that followed. I went to see the pulmonologist on Thursday, and he told me to get a nuclear lung scan on Friday. I also got a more in-depth breathing test. Oddly enough, though, on Thursday and Friday, I felt a lot better. and knew the scan would come out negative. I got the results of the scan and breathing test late last, last afternoon, and as I suspected, it came out negative. Today is a fifth day without shortness of breath. I'll let you know how I do the rest of the week. He gave me an inhaler, but I haven't had to use it yet. If I am healed, I don't know what to say to the doctor. He probably thinks it was anxiety. January 12, 2012. Well, you may remember I had you pray for both of my knees. When you touched my knees, both my knees um, uh, have felt better. I haven't seen a doctor again to get an update. You may also remember me mentioning to you that the past year has been quite stressful on my marriage and that things had been pretty tough. Ever since that weekend, my wife and I have turned the page almost miraculously. It was as if things turned on a dime. We never felt like our marriage was in serious jeopardy, but at the very least, we felt like we didn't like each other during the year 2011. I can say without a doubt that after that weekend, um, it marked a significant change. I dare say my marriage has never been better. Some more summaries. Jerry, a man I prayed for who had cancer, he died. Alba, who had degenerative arthritis, Malaysia, was healed. Aiden wanted prayer for his wife who wasn't there, so I prayed for him to be able to hear. heal his wife, Luciana, who was bedridden and unable to work, woke up the next morning and went back to work for the first time in years. Sarah, who had nerve damage, had a curled finger in front of her whole church as we prayed, popped open for the first time in years and was healed. Pilar, who had neck, nerve, and vessel damage from an abusive husband who beat her almost daily, also had uterine cancer, was healed, medically verified that the cancer just disappeared. I have lots of stories of people who didn't get healed, But I read you these stories because it's so helpful for me. It builds my faith. And one of my great fears for Christians and healing is that it short-circuits the work of God in a person's life. I'm very aware that God calls us to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, not around it, not over it, not suddenly appear on the other side of it. So much of Christianity is escapism. And I fear that healing ministry can degenerate down this slippery slope and become nothing more than a quick fix. But I do know this is the story of God in my life. So here is what I want us to do. Two things for application. First, I want to commission healing as a part of the ministry of Mercer Allen Covenant Church. Now, I say it this way because I don't know what it's going to look like. I think we, as a body, are going to contextualize and shape what this ministry will look like. And so as you're fasting, as I asked you to do last week, and as you're listening, add this to your list of prayers. How does God want us to do? engage in this ministry of healing as part of our ministry as a church? Here on Mercer Island. So let's commission that this Sunday. I want to do that together. I want to now invite the Free Wheelchair Mission team to come on up from our church. And what I want to do is I want to ask Joseph to say a couple of words uh, to just tell us who's going and some of the details so that we know how to pray for you. But I want us, as we commission the church, and say we are sending this team out to be a healing presence in Santiago, Chile. Not just to do what human hands can do, but to be empowered by the Spirit of the living God to be able to be a healing presence and make a societal statement about the reality of God in their midst, sent out from our church. So come on up to here so people can see you. Joseph, would you share a little yeah.
1: bit? Yeah, hi, family. Uh, Joseph Scheid, uh, Walton, Thelma Ritchie, um, they were actually the first ones that were uh, decided to go on this trip. And then we also have Nikki Theland, who's the daughter of um, John Theland. Uh, I forget John's voice. Um, but yeah, we are going. John and Lynn Thalen. We are going to uh, a city a little bit outside of Santiago, Chile. Uh, we were working with Fedes, who is a nonprofit that's already distributed about thirty-five thousand wheelchairs for Free Wheelchair Mission. Uh, our goal there is really to be distributing and putting together wheelchairs and um, lifting people up off the ground, uh, taking them out of the dirt and out of their huts, and helping them become contributing members of society in their communities, um, and just as, as Peter told the story of Mark chapter 2, uh, our goal is to, to, to attach ourselves to the least of these in that community, uh, and really lift them up um, in an in awe-inspiring, God-inspiring way. Thank you. So
0: let's bow our heads together. Extend your hands out if you feel comfortable doing that, and I want to pray Uh, for these guys to have a great time, to be safe, and for God to use them in surprising, miraculous, and powerful, lasting ways. We also commission them symbolically um, as uh, launching our healing ministry at this church. God, so we pray for the Free Wheelchair Mission Team of Mercer Island Covenant Church. Holy Spirit, fill them from the crown of their heads to the soles of their feet with your Holy Spirit and power from on high. We pray for gifts to be released, that they might exercise your authority to be able to do your work, not just of building wheelchairs, not just being empathetic human beings, but ambassadors of the living God, to be able to not just provide mobility, but life and life to come. So anoint them, Lord, we pray. We send them out as a church, and we support them, we love them, and we pray for their safe return. And we pray that many lives will be changed forever. And we pray that healing would happen right in front of their eyes. From headaches to heartaches to societal ills. Lord, heal. And we commission our church and the ministry of healing in our church. Lord, as we timidly, but with faith, with courage, with humility, with hope. God, release us and release gifts in us and allow us so that we may know, so that they may know that you, Lord Jesus, are God and you are our Savior. You have died for us and you alone have the authority to forgive sins. And you at times verify that with outer healing. And do that in our midst, not as a way of escaping reality, but so that we might further engage the mission of God that you have set out for us to do. So Lord, have mercy on us, be good to us. We believe, but help our unbelief. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.